Well, you can turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. That's where we're going to be today. We'll get into that in just a minute. But before we do, I want to just talk a little bit about what we've been able to already witness and be part of this morning. Not only did we get to experience some baptisms amongst our church family and hear about their stories of God changing their lives and drawing them into the church family, but we also got to be challenged today. Today is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. Every year, uh, the Church of God and others celebrate Sanctity of Life Sunday together and hopefully challenge our churches and those around us to take very seriously the gift of life. As we had opportunity to watch the video today from New Hope, New Hope is one of our partner agencies here in the city of Syracuse, and they do great work amongst those who are considering or thinking about uh, what to do with their pregnancies. I would encourage you to pray for them. I'd encourage you to pray for them regularly. I'd encourage you to look for opportunities to volunteer, uh, to help. Uh, I would also want to encourage today that those who have been through the a time in their lives where they may have either had an abortion or walked with someone through an abortion. I want to encourage you today too. God loves you. And he wants to be part of your life. And if that's something that's part of your history or something that you struggle with, Jesus wants to set you free from that. So today as we, uh, as we look at God's word, one of the things that I want to make sure that we're talking about and not just sanctity of human life in regards to newborns being born, but also from the womb to the tomb, that God has a plan for every single one of us. And he wants to be part of your life and work in your life. And no matter what you've been through, no matter what you've experienced in the past, no matter where you've come from, God wants to be with you and walk with you and change your life. We just watched five people express publicly how God has changed their lives. And we would encourage you, if you, uh, I don't think we can say this too many times, if you are considering what to do with God in your life, please come talk to someone. Please listen to the Holy Spirit. He wants to change your life and show you how much he loves you. Abortion and the topic in our society is one that I do believe is going to be a historically tragic thing that goes down in the books about our country. But we can change it. And God can change it. So let's have the church and let's be committed for us to be part of that and to be active in that change happening. First Peter chapter 5. We've been walking our way through this book for, for months now, and uh, where we end up today is after we spent last week and talked about the idea of elders, pastors, bishops in the local church, and how they're called to lead, and what their lives should look like, and how they should walk with Jesus, he moves right into these next couple verses, which I want to read for us, verses 5 through 8. As we look at verse 5 through 8, we have to know it comes right on the heels of the challenge that Peter gave us in the previous couple verses. To watch those with spiritual maturity, to, to follow those with spiritual maturity in front of us. But he goes on from there into the next few verses. And as we read them, listen carefully for where you fall into the definition of these next couple verses. Listen carefully to which category you might be in. 
There's a category for everybody in these next few verses. But understanding where you are and understanding what God's called you to do is part of him working his mission out in your life. I've been around the church for my entire life. Um, I was born into a Christian home and my father was a pastor for most of my life. And the two years he was not a pastor, when I was uh, one and two, he was a missionary. So I've been around the church my whole life. And one of the things that I think probably weighs on my heart more than anything else, other than sin and people coming to know Jesus, secondly, is when churches have this great division between generations. Because it's not how God intended the church to be. The church is meant to be a whole healthy family redeemed by him. And in a whole healthy family redeemed by him, there's the opportunity for those of an older generation to foster and care for and be an example for those in a younger generation and to value those as a younger generation. And it's an opportunity for those of a younger generation to look up to and to follow and to model after those who have gone before them. That's how the church is supposed to look. We shouldn't have, and I'm convinced God gives grace for our imperfections as the church, and there are no perfect churches, but we shouldn't have in our churches this great divide between ages and generations. Instead, as we look at scripture today, there's a call for all of us to be humble. And as we're humble, and as we look to the Lord, he's gonna change these things, not just in our church, but in churches as we get to walk with them. And we can pray consistently that the church of God would be a church that doesn't reflect the divisiveness of, our, of the world around us because the world has given itself to divisiveness. It's everywhere. And anyone that doesn't look like you or talk like you or think like you or agree with you, you can just write them straight off and never have to pay attention again. That's what the world's telling us. That's not how the church of God works because humility requires something different. So let's read verses five through eight in 1 Peter chapter five and then we'll, we'll dig in a little bit and see what God has for us. Verse five, coming out of, right out of verse four is, as we are reminded, the chief shepherd will come and for those elders who are faithful to his service, give them the unfading crown of glory. Verse five says this, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. May God give us some insight into his word this morning as we look at these verses. And if we just start in verse five, the address initially is to the younger people. He says, likewise, just like, just like what? Likewise to who? Likewise to godly, faithful elders in your church. Likewise to how you watch their lives be carried out and how they walk out just like that knowing that in the end, the reward comes from the chief shepherd, not from this world. So like that, he says right into verse five, 
you who are younger, be subject to the, to the elders. And this word particularly is the word used for those who are older than you. And when we look at this, it starts with us from a younger generation. I'm gonna throw myself in that category just because I want to. Um, I know I probably don't fall there anymore much anymore. I got too much gray in my beard. But it starts with the younger generation. And what God wants the younger generation to understand is this. We've all been young at one point. We've all, when we're young, thought old people were crazy and didn't understand our lives. And we have some sort of challenge that they've never experienced. We've all been there, okay? We've all done that. And what God wants us to know is, don't stay there. It's natural to be young. And when you're young, you think you can own the world and, and nothing can hurt you and you're infallible. I get all that. It's natural when you're younger. But the thing that is helpful when you're younger is to look to those who are older who were there and have walked past that. And then as you look to those who have walked past it, you can actually ask them some good questions like, how did you manage to make it? How are you still walking with Jesus? 40 50, 60 years later. How are you doing that? Because younger folks, no matter what you think you know, you don't know. Okay? You don't know. And here's why. Because there's nothing in this world that can replace time. If you haven't been walking with God that long, you have no idea how to walk with God that long. That's just simple math. There's not a lot of simple math out there anymore, right? Like, you look at math nowadays, I, can't, I don't even know what it is. But the simple math is this. If you haven't lived and walked with Jesus for 40 years, you don't know how to walk with Jesus for 40 years. So you should look to those who have and get everything you can get out of those relationships. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to those who are older, to the elders. Why? Because God knows what's good for you better than you do. And he has good in mind for you. So younger folks, this is one of the challenges I want to give you this morning. You might have some repenting to do. You might need to talk to God about your perspective and how you've looked at those who have gone on before you in the older saints. You, you might have some work to do there. Don't ignore God if you do. Why? Because you'll miss the blessing. You'll totally miss the blessing of repenting and changing your heart and getting in line with the Lord and learning from those who have gone before you. One of the great things, I, I've been in a lot of different churches over the years to speak or, or church plants and guys that we were working with or helping. And uh, this is one of the unique things about this church. This church is 175 years old this year. Amen? That's a long time serving God. This church has a lot of folks who have been here for a long period of time. We have people in their 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s who got saved here and have walked with the Lord for that whole time. 
So young folks, there's actually zero excuses. It's not like you're in a new church and everybody's under the age of 35 and you gotta figure out if you're 20, is a 35-year-old older? Are they the experienced ones? It's not like that here. So don't live like it is. Instead, take advantage of all that God's blessed us with as a church family. Find someone with gray hair and ask them about their walk with Jesus. Step number one. Ready? If you're a note taker, you need me to be real specific, write that down. Find someone with gray hair and ask them about their walk with Jesus. More gray hair than me. Okay? And when you ask them, then stop, put your phone away, and listen. You'll be blessed. You'll be blessed to see how God has ministered to people who have gone before you for long periods of time, even lifetimes. You'll be encouraged to hear their stories and what God's shown them. So our first verse here says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to your elders. How? By being respectful and understanding that God has put people around you that are older than you for your good. For your good. So take a little time and listen. You'll be amazed. He goes on here in verse five. He says, clothe yourselves, all of you. Ah, there's that phrase. So first he addressed the younger folks. But now, maybe you're in the middle. Maybe you're thinking, am I younger or am I older? Where am I? It doesn't matter, actually, because this phrase says everybody. So when I asked you earlier to identify where you knew you fit in to these particular verses, if you're not in that first group, you're in this one. And if you were in the first group, you're in this one too. So everybody's in this group. So as he says, God tells us through Peter, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. You want to know how God's designed the church to work in unity? Humility. That's it. Humility. Don't think of yourselves as higher than you actually are. Use humility. Think of others more often than yourselves and know where you're at. One of the things that I am amazed by, by spending time with some older saints in our church family here and Particularly, I uh, get an opportunity once in a while to sit with Frank and Shirley Knickerbocker, who are 94 and 95. And as I sit and talk with them, I often will ask them a question, and I'm looking for some like super spiritual nugget from it. And you know what I typically get? Humility. I get humility. I get, usually, if I'm asking Frank Knickerbocker a question, he starts talking to me about somebody else that was before him. Somebody that walked with him. Somebody that brought him into the faith. Somebody that spent time with him. That's the kind of humility that a church needs in order to be healthy. Clothe yourselves. Here's one of the things that is super important about these words. Clothe yourselves. And what does this word mean? Clothe. If you were to take this word out of the Greek and just kind of pull it apart a little bit, it doesn't mean like just have something on. This word is something that was meant for the full arraignment of a nice outfit. 
okay? Meaning totally cover yourself. It's not wearing jeans and a t-shirt. This is clothe yourselves. This is more like suit and tie, okay? This is fully dressed. He says this word, I'm convinced, for this. He's trying to help communicate the fact that you need to cover yourself in humility. Don't just give it a piece of your life where you're humble. Cover yourself in it. It should be all over you as a follower of Christ. Why? Here's the greatest truth why we should be humble. We should be humble because we know what Jesus did for us. We didn't do it. So there's nothing we're laying to claim to. Like we surpassed some mountain and the person next to us didn't. We were all in the same boat. And Jesus did what we could never do. Therefore, humility should be natural for us. And the more that we stop and think about what God has done for us through his son, the more humility will grow in your life. Pride grows when we think about ourselves. Humility grows as we think about him. So clothe yourselves in humility. Be totally covered with it. Be humble. Verses five through seven tell us. Both the younger to the older and all of us to each other. So older folks of the older generation, I wanna, I wanna exhort you here. Humility from an older person will endear younger people to you. Not all of them. Some people are just young and dumb. We know that. We've all been there too. But young people who are trying to seek out what God has for them and trying to gather all the biblical and spiritual wisdom and knowledge they can get out of life, they want to spend time with you, your humility will draw them in. They'll find you. So humble, be humble. All of you, all of us toward one another. And he goes on, he doesn't need to give us a reason, but he goes on, he gives us a reason. He says, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Proverbs 3, verse 34 is what he's quoting here. And Proverbs 3, 34 says, to the scorners, God is scornful, but to the humble, he gives grace. Who wants grace? A couple of you are asleep already? Who wants grace? We all want grace. How do you get it? Be humble. It's that easy. It's that clear. It's that simple. In Proverbs, here in 1 Peter chapter 5, God opposes the proud. That is not a side you want to be on, opposed to God. So instead of being proud, be humble, because he gives grace to the humble. James quotes this as well and gives us a little more wording on it. In James chapter 4, he says this, verses 6 and 10, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He quotes Proverbs 3 as well. Then he says, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. See, too often we skip the first step for the second one. We want the exaltation without the humility. Here's what Peter goes on to say in verse 6. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. 
Here's what we know from scripture, from history, and from anybody who's walked with God for very long, we know this. God is waiting to reward those who obey him and humble themselves. We know this. He's waiting to reward those who humble themselves. He's just waiting for you to obey and do it. We also know this. Too often we think that we know when the exalting should kick in. All right, God, I've been humble for a couple months. Let's go. Where's that exalting? Right? Just the reflection of that actual statement says, you're not humble. I had a conversation with an older saint one time, and I asked him, I said, talk to me about humility. How would you define humility? He says, well, it's really hard to define humility, but the fact is, if you don't think you're humble, you're probably humble. And I walked away thinking, well, that sounds weird. But then I got a chance to think about it, right? Humility backfires when you actually start talking about yourself being humble, right? It's not something you celebrate because when you celebrate it about yourself, you lose it. So that's why this verse actually says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, the mighty hand of God, knowing that you can humble yourself because he's going to take care of everything. It's his hand that's mighty, not yours. Under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. The proper time is his time, not yours. You won't know when it is, and you'll be surprised when he does it. If you're walking in humility. So the discipline here is, and remember, we're still in this category of everybody. Okay, so nobody tune out. Younger folks, older folks, everybody in the middle. We're still in this category. It says all of you. So all of the hearers. Clothe yourselves with humility. Under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time, he may exalt you. He knows when that timing is. He has perfect timing every time. So leave it to him. Verse 7. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Why am I convinced that verse is so important in the middle of this particular passage? Because pride typically comes out when you're trying to take care of yourself. You're trying to protect yourself. You're trying to provide for yourself. You're trying to keep everyone else out so that you can have what you think you need. This is when pride wells up. And we feel like as human beings and as fallen human beings that the more I can t- convince other people that I'm a big deal, the more big deal I'll be. And you know what God says? He says, humble yourselves because he cares for you. You don't have to do that. Let him take care of it. And in the end, genuine Christian humility looks like people watching our lives and not thinking about us, they think about him. That's where humility kind of comes to fruition in the Christian life. When they watch, people watch your life, and then when they ask, the explanation is not me, it's him. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. There's many of us sitting here today, listening here today, that have anxieties in their life. In some way, shape, or form, we all do. Some people may be more anxious than others. But those anxieties have a tendency to come out in us wanting to take the wheel and take control. 
instead of letting God take care of what he needs to take care of in our lives and trusting him with it. Why? Because he cares for you. Look at those last five words of verse seven. Because he cares for you. Because he cares for you. It doesn't matter what goes before that sentence. Everything's fine. It doesn't matter what he asked you to give up before that sentence. Everything's fine. Why? Because he cares for you. Why can we leave all our anxieties at his feet? And not try to manage them ourselves because he cares for you. Why do we not have to make a big deal about ourselves or try to put on some sort of air in front of everybody? Why? Because he cares for you. He'll take care of it. Don't think you have to do it. Let him do it. Because he cares for you. The last verse, verse 8, that we want to take a moment on ties us from this passage that talks about humility and the idea that generations inside of God's family can come as one and be unified to follow him together. But it won't be easy because everything will be a challenge against it in this world. The ideas of the world around us and the culture around us and the fact that the devil wants to blow it up. And he's trying to blow it up. So what does verse 8 say for us? God sovereignly gives us a warning. He says, be sober-minded. This word, it's used a couple times in Scripture, this word for sober-minded, it means be alert. Be alert. Be alert. Be watchful, he says. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That's what Satan wants to do to you. Satan prowls around like a roaring lion wanting to devour you. And you know one of the best ways that he can devour you is to make you proud because you'll ruin your life. So if he can convince you that you're really important and that you should think of yourself as really important, and you should steal the glory of God by drawing glory to yourself, if Satan can convince you of that, that pride, he's already devoured you. You're done. That's why this verse is a warning here in this passage that pushes us towards humility. Because humility is what will fend him off. The next time Satan whispers in your ear, you don't know enough to do that. You can't tell that person about Jesus. Look at your life. You're broken. Who are you? Tell somebody that Jesus loves them. You messed up yesterday. You know what you say back to Satan? You say, that's okay, because it's not about me. So it doesn't matter. It's not my story. I'm not trying to get people to follow me. I'm trying to get people to follow him. So when that creeps in, don't respond with, hey, no, I'm better than that. A right view of us in this world says, yeah, you're right. I'm probably more broken than, than I'll ever admit. But he's better than you'll ever know. 
So humility comes in by directing people towards the Savior. The word Satan, that word Satan, the actual definition for that word is adversary. Satan is not your friend. He is your enemy. And he is trying to blow you up and tear your life apart. That's all he cares about. The word devil actually means accuser, the slanderer. That's the definition of the word devil. And that's what Satan wants to do in your life. He wants to accuse you and slander you and tear you apart. So how do we combat this? What does it look like to actually be sober-minded and be watchful? Because our adversary, the slanderer, is seeking to rip us apart whenever he can. What does it look like? It looks like the previous four verses. Be humble. Be around a church family that you can ask older folks who have walked with Jesus and made it longer. You can say, how do you fight Satan in this area? Man, I'm losing here. And they can say, yeah, I lost there too for a little while. But then Jesus gave me victory. In the last 30 years, I've walked with him in this way. And you can know the way out. Because Jesus has already done it in somebody else's life. See, if you don't have those people in your life, or you do and you just don't listen to them, you, you won't. You'll get caught by surprise. You'll turn the corner and the devil will be there and he'll just rip you apart because you'll be thinking too much of yourself. And you have nothing to combat it with. Just like for our older generations. If you're part of the older generation of the God's family and you can't see the value in the younger generation and the future of God's family, Satan will tear apart your spiritual life too. Because you, you think what? Because you've lived longer that now you get an opportunity to be proud? It's not true. Because Jesus is the Savior when you're young and when you're old. So it's not about us. So there's no point in this. When he says all of us clothe ourselves in humility, he means all of us. It doesn't matter how old or young you are. If you're willing to clothe yourself in humility and make the story about Jesus and not about you, God will unify the church. He will get the glory and we'll just be able to ride it out watching him work. And it won't be about us. So this is a tough challenge and I know it. I'm probably going to get emails tomorrow. It's okay. I don't check my email very often. So that's all right. But the challenge is for all of us. We're called to walk with Jesus in a humble way that makes him the hero of the story and all of us recipients of his grace. That's how the church should look. And I know that we're not perfect. And thank God for repentance and forgiveness. So there might be somebody here today you need to go talk to. There might be somebody who's older than you and you think, you know, I know God's put that person in my life and I just haven't valued him. I haven't listened to him. I haven't asked him anything. Go ahead. Repent for missing what God had for you first and then go repent to them. And build a relationship. And if you're older... And you just think young people are crazy and don't deserve any of your time and input? 
Repent. Because they need you. They need your input. They need your wisdom. They don't need your judgment and your browbeating. They need to see Jesus from you. So take the opportunity and do it. And, and folks, our church is full of people that are already doing this. It's a blessing. But if God's convicting you, then move towards him. Because that's where he wants you to be. Be humble. And at the right time, he will exalt you. When is that right time? That right time is when you get to heaven. That right time when, is when you will be so in awe of his complete glory unveiled, you won't have any time for pride. That's the right time. That's his timing. So as long as we're in this world, let's be humble people. Let's value each other. Let's go to each other. Let's listen to each other. And as we do that, let's make sure that what we're sharing and what we're hearing is about him. It's not about us. Because when we're gone, it doesn't matter if anybody remembers our names. It only matters if they remember him. So let's try to live our lives in that way, knowing that he has given us the clear road to do so with a clear warning, and we'll carry on that warning next week about how to be careful about keeping the evil one out of your life. So let's pray together, and I know this passage is a little bit of a heavier one and a tougher one, and we're gonna respond together, but this is what we get to do together as the people of God gathered. We get to listen to God's word, we get to be challenged, we get to look back to him, repent if we need to, experience his grace, and we get to celebrate all that he's done through baptisms and people coming to know Christ and God changing lives. It's good to be part of the family of God and it's an encouragement to both watch what God's doing and be part of what God's doing. So I'm gonna pray and we're gonna respond together. Some of the ways that we regularly respond is we respond through praying, through singing, through giving, which we will take our offering in just a moment as the team comes down. But these are all responses to God's good grace and his word. And then we respond as well when we walk out of these doors into the frigid cold. It is cold out there. We walk out these doors and we live out what he's called us to live out. That's how we respond. He's living in light of what he's done for us and who he's made us to be.